Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just a note to say that in this episode, we discuss suicide. Please take care when listening. Welcome to the Talentworks Podcast. I'm Shukri. I'm Katrina. And I'm Helen. BBC Studios is the production part of the BBC Group, so we're not public service. What we do at BBC Studios is we invest in and we produce amazing shows, both for the UK and globally. We make some shows for the BBC, but we also make them for the market, like Netflix, Channel 4, Spotify, Audible. These include Blue Planet, Pressed, Killing Eve, Strictly Come Dancing, I May Destroy You, Doctor Who, Top Gear... BBC Studios Talentworks are a small but mighty development team within BBC Studios. We work cross-genre and cross-platform. We specifically work with emerging talent, so we look to places like Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, people who are writing blogs, maybe people who've got podcasts already, who are storytellers and looking to partner with BBC Studios to tell bigger, bolder stories. In short, we play Cupid for talent and industry. And this podcast is about giving the floor to some of those talented creators. True to form, our guests are going to lead the way. They are going to be telling us about three pieces of work that have defined their careers so far. So who have we got today? Katrina here. It's December 2022 and today I am joined by Leila Wright. And I would literally like get in a car and we'd be at, you know, we'd be at a crime scene before the police or, you know, we'd be at like scale scaffolding and they'd like let me like overlooking like some mad live incredible event. And I was like, this is wild. Like I want to do this forever. And then I'd go home for me tea and everyone be like, what'd you do today? <laughs> How was school? Yeah. <laughs> Layla is a presenter, journalist and documentary filmmaker from Liverpool. I know Layla as she was one of our creator-in-residence here at BBC Studios. During her residency, Layla worked in the Factual podcast team and is now working at Louis Theroux's production company, Mindhouse. Layla has produced and presented some hard-hitting documentaries for the BBC, including for BBC Three, BBC One and Radio 4. To name a few, she's investigated gangs, knife crime, alternative cancer cures, conspiracies, student deaths, all in the fearless pursuit of the truth. So what are we going to talk to Layla about today? Well, first of all, how Layla started her documentary career aged only 14 by working in her local radio station. Then we hear about what it takes to make a documentary, including going undercover. And then finally, Layla will tell us about what she's learning from working with Louis Theroux. Welcome to the Talentworks podcast, Layla. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, an absolute pleasure. First things first, we all want to know, how do you spend your week? How do I spend my week? So I'm Layla from Liverpool. Very important fact, Katrina, just, just to get that out there mm-hmm. quickly. I make television and radio documentaries. So basically my job is to tell people's stories. And yeah, I, I adore it. 
So in every episode, we get our guests to choose their three most defining moments of their career. Can you tell us a little bit about your first one? Yeah, so for my first clip, I chose the very first documentary I ever did, and it's called Crisis on Campus. And this is about the untold story about mental health in universities. And I made this for the radio station that I was kind of hanging around at at the time. This was in 2017, so I was about 20 at the time. Let's hear it. In 2015, 134 students over the age of 18 took their own life in England and Wales. Hundreds more self-harmed and it's believed thousands are suffering in silence. Figures show student suicide is at its highest ever rate, with an average of two students a week taking their own life. Every summer, young people across the UK pack their bags to begin what's often called the best years of your life. Yet the reality of homesickness, exam pressure, relationships, debt and the general stresses of uni life are claimed to be leading to a rise in students with mental health problems. My name is Leila Wright. I'm a student at the University of Liverpool and I'm exploring the darker side of going to uni. I'll be speaking to those who've lost loved ones. He closed his Facebook and Twitter account down the night before. He paid all his debts off and he sat with me and he told me how much he loved me. And those who've nearly lost themselves. I used to start like self-harming. To try and find out why this is happening. We do take calls uh, with students experiencing suicidal thoughts. And what can be done about it. Without a doubt, universities could be and should be doing more. This is the untold story about the crisis on campus. Crisis on campus. Gosh, that was and continues to be a massive problem in the UK. Yeah, how this kind of came about was that I'd kind of been hanging around at the radio station for a few years now. I went in there on work experience when I was 14 and like genuinely just did not leave. Mm-hmm. Like not even just saying that, like would turn up uninvited every week until like they just kind of accepted in the end that, you know, Leigh would be in on like a Thursday. And I'd be like, I've got this story. But I just started uni at this point. You know, I'd been kind of hanging around the radio stations in school and I just got to uni and I realised that. Like it, it was, it was different than what I thought it was going to be you know people around me were suffering they were struggling with their mental health and you know people went up for going to the pub on a Thursday like I thought they were and you know it kind of I realized that you say to mum like wow like you know people are really suffering here and they're trying to get help and they can't get it and genuinely no one was talking about that now you know this is a few years back luckily it has kind of become into the media a little bit more but at that point no one was chatting about it and I said to my mum like I'm gonna make a documentary about that you know Obviously, like, did not do documentaries, like, hung around the radio station, do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know what to do. And um, a mum in classic Angie Wright style kind of came home one day from the shop where she works and she said, I met a lady today who, you know, her son took his own life in university, so I've told you you're going to go around on Tuesday and interview her for your documentary. So I was like, what documentary? (laughs) And she was like, you know the documentary that you keep, like, saying that you're going to make? And I was like, oh, mum, I'm just, I'm just saying that in the house. Like, you know, I'm not making a documentary about it. Um, and she was like, well, you know, she wants you to go around on Tuesday, so you need to kind of go and interview her. And I remember, like, thinking, oh, my God, I'm not telling my mum anything again. <laughs> and, um, and I went round to, to Pauline's house on the Tuesday, and I remember knocking on the door and thinking, I really hope my mum's got the wrong address. I hope she doesn't answer. I hope she's forgotten about it. And, and she did, not she opened the door. And, you know, that was my first kind of in- proper interview where like I had to sit there and you know it it was incredibly hard and intense and I was you know 
I must have been like, what, how old was I? 19, maybe? 19, 20 at the time. And like I said, I'd been doing reporting for a while, but like, this is the first time when I had someone's pressure then. Like, when I left Pauline's house, I remember walking for miles, literally. Pauline lived on this estate not far from mine. And I literally remember her closing the door and walking for about half an hour. I didn't even know where I was. And I was like, what am I going to do? I don't even know how to get that interview off my phone. Mm. And I've now got the pressure of this amazing, lovely mum who's lost her son at university who thinks that I'm going to get that in the world. It's a big subject matter for very young shoulders. You said you were, what, 18, 19 years old. How do you go about preparing for an interview such like that? It's definitely something that I've had to learn to do and you only learn through experience. I mean, I was the youngest reporter like, in Liverpool when I, when I was a reporter and I think you just have to remember why you're doing it. Like when I listened back to like, you know, Crisis on Campus, like that first documentary, I was very lucky that it got shortlisted for an award, a student award. <laughs> and we had to go down to London, me and mum for it. And this was when London was still like, like London, like Big Ben. <laughs> like You'd go there yeah. once a year. It was like, it was a special trip. And me and mum went down together and Prince Harry attended these awards and they played the documentary clip just like we've heard then in front of Prince Harry. And I remember like that moment changed everything for me because I remember sitting there with mum in like Leicester Square and I was like, wow, we're in Leicester Square, like Eminem World's over there. And like it felt so special when Pauline's voice like played out. I said to mum like I I did it. Like I, I got Pauline's voice from like, you know, from from ours from round by ours in front of like a royal like I, I didn't know how I'd done it but I did and like that for me that changed everything I remember I, I didn't win the award guys but it's fine <laughs> and I remember going back to the hotel that night with mum and I said to mum like that's it now like I'm going to do so many more documentaries mum and, and get like all these other people's stories from like round by ours and put them in front of people who would never ever cross us and cross these people and that, that kind of became like my little thing then so I think that crisis on campus it's very easy for me to listen back and be like mm. my pacing was not very good in that intro and my voice sounds so young but I should listen back and think you know what like wow like it's that kind of fire in me that I had then that I still try and remind myself of now when I'm taking on these heavy subjects. It sounds like you've had that fire since you were 14 years old Layla. I want to talk more about that because there will be people listening who are maybe at the very beginning part of their career as well. So at 14 years old, you contacted your local radio station and you went in every single week. So what happened was my school did work experience when you're Mm -hmm. in year nine, when you're 14. I could not wait. I don't know why I was like so excited for work experience. We get to year nine and school are like, so we're moving it until sixth form. So this, exactly, like I even remember where I was. None of my mates cared at all. And I was at the back of Miss Graham's English class and I was like, I'm not having this. Like I was fuming. I was like, I am doing work experience now (laughs) like this. So I emailed like all the radio stations and like newspapers in Liverpool and they were like, yeah, you know, you can come in. Pretended that school were doing work experience. So I was like, oh yeah, my school doing work experience. So blagging my way in basically. And then as soon as I walked into that newsroom that was like overlooking Liverpool and I was like, I'm not leaving here. Like, this is the coolest place ever. I just couldn't believe it. Like, because it was such a cool buzzing place, like I just kind of was in the background and I was like, 
I'm just going to follow these reporters. And I would literally like get in a car and we'd be at, you know, we'd be at a crime scene before the police. Or, you know, we'd be at like scale scaffolding and they'd like let me like overlooking like some mad live incredible event. And I was like, this is wild. Like I won't do this forever. And then I'd go home for me tea and won't be like, what'd you do today? How was school? Yeah. <laughs> and then, but eventually school, like they even, they were incredible. They let me have like two afternoons off a week to go, which, you know, was a bit controversial in school. That's great. Yeah. I think everyone else was like, why is Leila getting to, you know, go and, and mess around in this radio station every week? But I think school knew that like, luckily, like I was quite good at, you know, school and exams and stuff. And they were thinking, this will kind of keep her like out of trouble a little bit. Let, let's let her do that. And I was doing proper stuff. Like I was covering elections at the same time I was studying politics at A-level. So, you know, it just got to a point where it was it was a nice magic mix, really. Wow. Okay, let's move on to your next clip. This is the most significant moment of your career so far. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So this clip is from a BBC Three documentary that came out in the summer of 2020. I presented and produced this documentary and it's called False Hope, Alternative Cancer Cures. And it's about a young man called Sean Walsh who turned down conventional cancer treatment in Liverpool and tried to cure his cancer himself. As you can see, this is really working. This is healing my body. Chemotherapy, I've already had it. It done me no good. Does it make sense to poison yourself back to good health? It doesn't. It's, it's nuts. It's insane. Why would you poison yourself back to good health? Sean died in January 2019, three years after turning down hospital treatment and deciding he was going to cure his cancer without his doctor's help. I'm Leila Wright and I'm a journalist from Liverpool. I never met Sean, but I'm friends with his girlfriend Amy and followed his journey online as he tried to heal himself naturally. Why did you want to tell Sean Walsh's story? So how Sean's story came about was, you know, everyone was following his journey at the time. You know, he'd been diagnosed with cancer and he was documenting on social media how well he was doing with these alternative medicines. And then I heard that Sean had died. I messaged Amy, who I knew. Amy is Sean's girlfriend and we went to university together. And I messaged Amy. I said, you know, I want to do a documentary and, you know, or maybe you know, I want to talk about what happened. And Amy's response kind of stopped me in, in my tracks and she replied and was like Leila no one realizes the story like the story isn't what everyone thinks it is and what you think it is like what we thought about the treatments that were curing him weren't curing him at all she told me about the people that were advising him and she basically said that the story that the whole city knew about Sean wasn't the truth and she was like you know let's meet and I think when I got that message I was like right this needs to be my, my next story now and that was it. So you got the DM and then what happens? What was involved in the planning stage of the documentary? Well, as soon as I like heard this, this, the story, I met with his mom, Dawn, who's amazing, and his brother and, and Amy, and we were chatting. And like it was the same as when I left Pauline's house that day from my first documentary. I had that fire in my belly. I actually just realised, speaking to you, I marched like the cathedral it's at the end of Hope Street, like the Christmas markets were on. And I was like, just I walked through, and like everyone was like trying to sell me like little things, and I was like just like walking through the cathedral. Like, how do I tell it? Like, I've just had it's, it's the same feeling that happens every time. It's a it's a pressure of a mm. family thinking, well, thank you, like you know we've just told you our story. What are you going to do with it now? That's me thinking, I don't know, but I'm going to get it out there. I don't know how I'm going to do it. 
so yeah so basically like you know we kind of all the things moved in motion then it was BBC amazingly got behind it and, and we spent a year telling Sean's story Trust is a massive part, I guess, of what you do. Why do you think people trust you to tell their stories and how do you manage to garner their trust? You know what, you know, that, that's a question that I, I always kind of, it gets me and I can't even answer it. Like, trust, is you're right, is a huge thing in my job. A huge thing in my job. And, like, I would do whatever. As soon as someone trusts me, like, with, with their story, that's it. Like, nothing breaks that. And, I mean, I've gone up against everyone like investigation wise boss wise commissioner wise like my my priority will always be my contributors always mm. like when they trust me with their story that's it then and like you know this is not me being like a big hero because actually like I'm guilty of like neglecting like other people in like my actual life and like my own feelings like you know I'm still learning obviously like not putting everything into like these projects which means that like bloody the other trust in other places kind of you know goes but 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 that's it like to me like I'm saying I'll learn I probably won't because this is why I, I do this job is because it'll always be the most important to me. What was your biggest learning from telling Sean's story? It's a good question. There's a lot at stake with Sean's story because, of course, like you know, I I knew kind of I knew Amy like we were we were friends, and I was telling a, I was telling a friend's story, mm. and that hadn't happened before. That was like a really even more pressure there. I think as well, Sean's story, you know, it, it we were talk, we were dealing with conspiracies there. Like you know, he was, you know, like Amy says, you know, killed by conspiracies. He completely got brainwashed again in her own words. So did she by by these conspiracies, and I think. That story was the first one where I was taking on a story that was quite like controversial because you still have people who do believe in all that. I knew that when that got released, well, I mean, I'd gone under, we'd gone undercover, so you were going to have a, a, you know, certainly a few people who weren't happy with, with what you'd done. But there was also going to be a wider community there that were going to say that you know you were part of like this cover up and things like that. So I think there was a lot of lessons to be learned making Sean's story. It was also my first like TV documentary. Like I'd literally gone from local radio to BBC Three. You just carry it with each project that you do. You just kind of take them lessons and you think, okay, I am going to get a bit of stick mm. for that documentary, but all I've done is follow the truth, which is all that I can do, really. Let's fast forward to the present. Your third clip, the one which best represents you and your success at the moment. Tell us about it, Leila. So this final clip is from my BBC One panorama, which came out a few months ago, about the Champions League final and the chaos that happened. I made this with Mindhouse, where I'm doing my residency. I made it in 2022. It was supposed to be a celebration, the biggest day in European football. Liverpool will take on Real Madrid for what they hope will become their seventh European Cup victory. But for thousands of Liverpool fans, the dream ended before the game had even begun. Be fired, tear gas, bump, bump, bump. Gas, 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 gas. People were getting crushed at the front. Calm down, down, everyone. It was like a war zone. I'm Leila Wright, a journalist from Liverpool. Five months ago, chaos in Paris echoed one of my city's darkest chapters. This is like Hillsborough all over this. Absolutely reminiscent of Hillsborough. I've analysed more than 300 videos recorded by Liverpool fans. Piecing together what went wrong. If it hadn't have been for the restraint of many of those Liverpool fans, and the historical knowledge of Hillsborough, we would have had deaths at the start of France. 
we did an office viewing for that when it came out, Layla. Really? Yeah, it I was amazing. That. We honestly had like heebie-jeebies from head to toe. I can't believe what an awful thing that happened. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, I had no idea that it did mm-hmm. until I watched your panorama. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it really did highlight something to people who weren't aware of it happening. What made you want to do it? What you just said to me, like that exact reason. I just started at Mind House. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliant, it was fun, I was in London, like, this is great. And then I, w- I was home in Liverpool for a week, and then Paris happened, and I remember, like, being at home and everyone coming back, like, genuinely traumatised. Like, my, my brother was there, my f- people I know, a lot of people I know were there. And I was listening to everyone's stories, and then I went back to London, and everyone was carrying on as normal. And I remember having, like, half a cob on, thinking... Cob on, sorry, it's like a such a scouse term. Like it means like being like annoyed. I remember like being like, how is everyone like acting normal? Like like my city are like traumatized there. Like and at that time the French authorities were saying that it was Liverpool fans' fault. And I was like, I, I can't have I can't have this. And you know, I just you know moved to London, I got this like new residency with like, you know, Louis Theroux and I thought, who am I if I if I don't do something now? Like I have to do something like it was like a duty I was like the rest of the country don't realize how serious this is I do right now let me get something on telly you've mentioned the word residency a couple of times before we go on to talk more about the content itself let's talk about your creator and residency so it's obviously how we've met each other as well talk to me about what your creator residency is how did you get it You've mentioned Mind House as well. I think these are all really exciting things to talk about. So, yeah, when did it start? How did you get it? So, you know, like, like we said, I started my career in radio, local radio. Then when I graduated, I moved on to doing like some kind of BBC kind of documentaries, BBC Three. It's been, been a pack few years, Katrina. And then a, a brilliant radio boss within the BBC told Mind House about me. So Mind House was this kind of exciting new production company that had been founded by Louis Theroux, Aaron Fellows, Nancy Strang, Sophie Arden. These are just incredible, like, you know, people who for me obviously felt completely miles away. Like, I was like, wow. And um, and that was it then. And, you know, we, we met the amazing BBC Studios team who put, who put me in a residency within Mind House, which meant that, you know, I, I could be based at the amazing indie for, for a length of time and, you know, to, to come up with a documentary. And that's what happened this year. And, you know, it, it's been the, the best year ever. And, yeah, like, I just want to be there for, for a lo- long time. I've got an amazing quote about you from Louis Theroux. Are you ready for me to read it aloud? <laughs> Go on. Layla Wright is fearless. She is tenacious and she is Liverpool to the bone. There is no one better qualified to dig into this troubling and complex story. It is a privilege to be working with her. <laughs> Come on. From Mr. Theroux. I know, I know. How does that how does that feel? I know. It's mad, you know, like honestly, like yesterday I was we, me, Louis, Nancy and Aaron and our amazing head of development, Kate, in the room together. It's like sipping cup of teas, dipping our biscuits in our tea and Louis like just talking about like what ideas like he wants me to do. And I remember thinking I had like this little moment yesterday where I was like, This is this is mad. Like how have I blagged this? Like what's happening here? Um What do you yeah. think the biggest thing you've learned from Louis and the team at Mindhouse is? I th- I think, you know, an important thing I've learned from them is like just never taking things too seriously, which I mean, like I, I kind of lucky that I don't anyway. I'm a scouser. I would never be allowed to take things too seriously. But like, like you know, like yesterday was a great example. We're chatting about ideas, you know, about like just amazing, like intricate, great conversation that like you know is just magic. 
And then Louis like, hey, have you seen this video, Leila? I've been meaning to show you. And you're like, okay, like... <laughs> you're just a normal person. Heavy conversation is done. But I think as well, like, it's so easy to take yourself too seriously in this industry. And I think Mindhouse do it perfectly because, like, they showed with the panorama. Like, they were incredible. Nancy was my exec in the panorama. Poor Nancy has been, like, stuck with me from day one. Since I joined the residency, like, I sit next to her. It's me and her, like, every day, coming up with ideas. And then she was also the exec of the panorama. I think there's, there's like a really funny screenshot of like one day on the panorama. I literally caught her like 38 times. Like it, it was a day. It, it was a day. <laughs> and she was amazing. Like from like 7am to like midnight. The best thing I've learned from Mindhouse is like, yeah, they make great telly and they care about their people and they care about us and they care about people on screen and off screen. But also we have fun as well and it's great and like we have a laugh and... And, you know, they, they rip me to bits, which I love. And, and I, I love that. Let's talk about your panorama that you made with Mindtai. So what do you think the hardest part about making the documentary was? The toughest bit was the pressure of it. Just like I, I'd like go home from the edit at like midnight and like I wouldn't even get any sleep because I'd know that. I'd be like, this is out in a few weeks and we need to make sure that, you know, that, that this is told perfectly. And we were making that film until two hours before it went out on air. It, that's like unheard of like I've never done anything like that before the voiceover was on the Sunday if you listen really close I, I actually lost my voice that weekend and we have an amazing production exec called Susie who is a dream and she was like she was genuinely worried when I rocked up on the Sunday I was like it's a bit better she was like you sound terrible and your voiceover is in a few hours so she was making me like you know hot hot lemon teas oh. But we did it. We did it. And I had to physically deliver the tape to the BBC. That's how close it came. Like, I, I didn't know that was a thing. Is there some part of you that secretly thrives off it, though? Not at that time. <laughs> I was like, I need a holiday. OK, Leila, we're going into the last part of the Tatmarks podcast. This is where we ask every guest to look into the crystal ball of their future. Ooh. Ooh. What do you see for yourself, Leila? What do I see for myself? I just want to tell the biggest stories in the world as bravely as possible. So I hope I see that. I hope I stay as excited as that 14-year-old who walked in that day to the newsroom and was like, wow, I just want to tell people stories. I hope I stay as excited and I hope I stay as grateful as that as that teenager as well and I never get used to it. And you're stuck with me now, Katrina, so if you ever see me kind of getting used to these situations... No takesy-backsies. So I think, like, Crystal Ball is just keep being brave. Keep just doing whatever it takes to just tell people stories. That's it. Thank you so much for coming, Leila. Thank you for having me. See you soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. If you're interested in knowing more about Leila, you can find her on Instagram at Wright underscore. You can also find us at BBC Studios Talent Works. This has been a Curly Media production on behalf of BBC Studios. See you next time. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.